Amen. Well, good evening. Good evening. Well, it is, uh, one, it's an honor to be here. Pastor, thank you so much for having me in. It's, it's a privilege to be here, be able to, to be able to preach your missions conference. And so for Cornerstone, your very first missions conference. And uh, I am, again, I'm just honored and, and feel privileged to be able to do this. And I'm excited for this week, been praying for the messages, been, pra- been praying for the meeting. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be down here for my first service here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. And yeah, I still meet last year when you came on down. And uh, um, amazing what the Lord has done in less than a year here. Just really is incredible to see it, in spite of the Conleys being here. It's just, just amazing. And uh, you can turn your Bibles to Acts 13. For those of you that don't know, I'll give a little bit of a very quick introduction to myself. Uh, again, my name is Terry McGovern. I, I uh, came to know the Lord actually back in 1982, but I was not raised in a Christian home. My home was really far from a Christian home. My dad was a rock and roll DJ in Cleveland, Ohio. My parents had actually divorced, and my mom moved closer to some family. And I had an uncle that went to a Baptist church. And uh, I started going with him to go to church with my cousins. We were the same age and, and would basically best friends at that time moving into that town. And I began hearing the gospel preached. And it took me about six months. I was going every week. I thought I was fine. We went to Catholic church. I thought I was all right. And then after about six months, even after the service had ended, and I told my cousin, I said, I can't leave. And I said, I have to go talk to the pastor. And I went up, and we sat on the front pew of that, of, of that church, and he led me to the Lord that day. And uh, when I was 16, just, just a short time after that, the Lord called me to preach. And uh, um, I began preaching at nursing homes and everywhere when I was 16, 17 years old. During the summers, I'd usually preach every single day at the nursing home. And then uh, the Lord led me into the Air Force. I thought it was going to be money for college, but the Lord had a whole other plan in mind. And I would spend the next nine years in the United States Air Force uh, sitting underneath three different men of God that would have a great impact on my life. And I would finish my college during those nine years as well. And then I became assistant pastor at the Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage. I, I, I was, the Air Force brought me here initially at Elmendorf Air Force Base, and then I got out of the Air Force. And uh, then in 2001, we left for debutation to go to New Guinea. We spent 12 years in Papua New Guinea as missionaries, and then uh, we came back eight years ago. Uh, eight years ago, we were coming back and just happened to be literally the same time that Pastor Roach was. There's a whole story behind that. I don't have time to get in. It's just amazing how the Lord works. But we knew the Lord was leading us um, at least out of the island we were on with the two churches we had established. And, uh, and then at the same time, it turned out that the founding pastor of the church, of my sending church, was retiring. And so I came back as the, as the senior pastor of the church. And um, been there now, like I said, eight years. And I certainly do appreciate your all's, uh, uh, our church does, your support. And already jumping in with Israel Warren, he certainly is a tremendous missionary. I, I truly believe, I mean, I, I was on a, we were remote in the field we are in. But I, I in no way think the hardships we face compare to the hardships of the, of the missionaries that are in the villages in Alaska. Um, and I, I appreciate him staying out there, him and his wife and his children and, and, uh, and I appreciate you all being behind them. All right, let me read here from Acts chapter 13, and then here in just a few minutes, we're going to jump into 
Acts chapter 11. I talked with a pastor just, just uh, about a week ago or so, and, and it began to dawn on me even after that conversation about how, for many of you, this will be some of the very first time you're hearing about faith promise. And so I do want to try and, be, try and put a really good foundation into this with all the services this week. And in the Sunday school hour, I, I will be getting specific into the biblical pattern of where we draw faith promise from, right from the Word of God. And so it is something to give a chance for us because Romans chapter 10 tells us, I mean, I mean, how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent? So what this conference is, is to stir your heart to say, you know, we have a responsibility as a local church to send missionaries to the field. And God honors that. There's no, there's, there's no way there is, it's not a coincidence, you all, getting involved in missions right away, right away. And all of a sudden you have a building here with property that, you, that can grow with. And, and brother, I know you know this, but you want to see God honor this church, boy, you honor world missions. That is, certainly is the heartbeat of God. You keep that in order, and God will bless that. But let me read quickly here from Acts chapter 13. It says, Now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, uh, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and uh, Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and, uh, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Please fill me with your spirit. Control what I say and how I say it, Lord. Lord, I pray for your mercy, your grace, and your help. Number one, help me to stay true to your word. And may you use your word to strengthen us, to draw us closer to you. Lord, please stir hearts towards the cause of world missions tonight. I pray your blessing upon Cornerstone. Please work, Lord. I love you. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Within Acts chapter 13, what we have here is really the, 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 the birth of world missions out of the local church taking place. It is the beginning. It is the start of it. The church that is here at Antioch is, is one of my favorite churches in the New Testament. I, I split between several, between the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi. But really what takes place in Antioch is amazing. It was an incredible church. When you understand how strong this church is, you begin to see why the Lord chose this church right here, the one sitting in this city, to begin world missions out of a church. It's an amazing church. The truth is the church at Jerusalem missed world missions. And there were several reasons. There are many factors that went into that. I mean, we're gonna, I'll talk about it more in just a minute. I mean, they didn't even reach out to a Gentile to, literally just, just a very short time prior to what takes place in Acts chapter 13. We're probably talking under a year when they finally went out to reach a Gentile. And they were confused as this time of transition was taking place between uh, Judaism, Christianity, the Gentile, the pagan world, and, and, and how all that was to come together. But nonetheless, they were not obeying the great commission of going into all the world. And the Lord had to bring about great persecution to get them to be shipped out all over the place. And so we have this church here, though, in Antioch, which is just amazing. And if Cornerstone is going to have an effective missions program that makes a difference in this world, it needs to be a strong church. The Lord chose the church at Antioch for a reason. It just wasn't arbitrary. The Lord knew exactly what He was doing. There was something special about this church. Again, there are reasons why. The Lord called men out of the church at Antioch to begin sending missionaries to have them sent from this church. 
Again, this is the foundation for world missions, what we're seeing take place in chapter 13. So I want us to understand what made this church so strong. Why was it that this was the church that God was going to use? Now, the very first mention of the city of Antioch has nothing to do with this church. That's in Acts chapter 6. That just deals with a, a, prosel, a Jewish proselyte who had got converted while he was in Jerusalem. So, and then the very next mention of it is in Acts chapter 11. So I want you to turn there. Look over in Acts chapter 11. This is the first mention and the start of the church at Antioch. This, Acts chapter 11, is where Cornerstone is right now. All right, this is where you're at. This is the foundation. This is what was taking place at this church when it started. Let's start in verse number 19. It says, Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. That's getting ready to change. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. I'll get into that later. That's now is talking about the Gentiles contextually there. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch who, when he was come, when he came, excuse me, and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, uh, uh, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. When you get in the verse for time's sake, I'm not going to read it right now, but verse 27, you see the results. They're already serving, they're already contributing, they're already getting involved in world missions by, by verse number 27. So let's go ahead and, let's, let's, let me go ahead and have a word of prayer. Or already did, I'm sorry, already did start that. Um, so, the church at Antioch had some tremendous influence on it with two key men, Barnabas and Saul. They were just amazing men of God. And it's important, by the way, what influences a church. We can see that right now with so many churches changing and heading a different direction. It's so important what you allow to influence your church. It's not, what, it's not about what's pragmatic. It's not about, uh, it's simply what does the Lord say? What does the Bible say it? It's, it's allowing the Bible to be the, the framework, to be the foundation for the church. So, let me set some context for what took place in chapter 13 because it's important. I alluded to it earlier. In Acts chapter 10, you had a major event takes place. There, there's, some, there's some key events that take place in the book of Acts, about three or four. Acts chapter 10 is huge. That is, the, that is when the, uh, the conversion of Cornelius and his household. So it's, it's finally them heading to a Gentile household and them coming to know the Lord. Uh, news had traveled back to uh, Jerusalem, and they heard what happened. And so the church brings in Peter and said, what's this going on? What, uh, we heard about this uh, uh, Cornelius getting saved, a Gentile. You went on to him, you ate with him. What's taking place? And so Peter rehearses all that the Lord did. And he said, listen, it's true. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. 
now we pick it up to where this text is. This church hears about it at Antioch. Those men hear about it. They said, wait, we can preach to the Gentiles? Because up to that point, the only people they were speaking to as well was just the Jewish community, and that was it. So then they launch out to reach the Gentiles. Again, really is incredible. In establishing the church at Antioch, we have a solid framework here of what makes a church strong of what's going to allow them to be in a position comes Acts chapter 13 when the Lord says, you know what, I've got to get the gospel out in an organized fashion. And he goes to this church. So let's look at that framework. How this church received God's blessing, to have God's hand upon it, to be used of God throughout the world. There's some keys here that I want us to look at. We're going to see three of the keys here are, one, they had the hand of the Lord, they were holding to the Lord, and that they highlighted the Word of God. We're going to see that right here in this text. So number one, I want you to notice this. Let's look at 19 through 21 of what the church at Antioch had in place that led to their growth, that led to them being a strong church, that allowed them to be so effective in world missions. Let's look at 19 through 21. <clears throat> now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The wording of this is important as to what took place. The Lord is showing us, this is why they had my blessing. This is what was taking place. This is what made them a strong church. Now, you might want to write this down because it's very interesting. Where you pick up in verse 19, basically, if you go back to Acts chapter 5 and verse 4, from 5, Acts chapter 8, verse 5, all the way to Acts chapter 11, verse 18, is a parenthesis. It's giving additional information of what was taking place during this era. But it, it closes back here and picks right up from the persecution of Stephen right into verse 19. So everything up to this point has been parenthetical. The conversion of Cornelius, Peter rehearsing back. And so now it gives us the context of why the church in Antioch all of a sudden has go out to the Gentile community. So Luke comes back to this to explain what was taking place at this amazing church that, that popped up in Antioch. So it, it, it's interesting here, the people that the Lord assembled in this city. Um, you've got, it, it mentions how they were from Cyprus and, and, and all the different places that they traveled to and the different coastal towns, but I just want to focus on Antioch. Antioch was very strategic. It was the capital of Syria at this time. From Jerusalem, it was 300 miles from Jerusalem. Now, there's, there's a couple of different Antiochs mentioned in the Bible. On Paul's first missionary journey, he's going to go to a place called Antioch of Pisidia. This is Antioch in Syria, completely two different locations. In, in the first century, in this region of the world between Asia Minor and even into the Europe side, there were 16 Antiochs that existed. But this one is the main one. This was a major city in the world. It had a population of over half a million. It, had, it was actually the third, the fourth largest city in the region, followed only by Rome, Alexandria, and rivaling a place like a, a, a town we also see in Scripture like Ephesus. It was a major city. 
The main street that was in Antioch was four miles long. They completely paved it with marble, and they lined down both sides of it, these marble pillars. It was an amazing sight to see. It was called the city, the Queen of the East. It was the only city in the ancient world at that time that had streets lighted at night. It was a busy port center for luxury and culture. It had attracted all kinds of people from all over the known world, including wealthy, retired Roman officials chose to retire there. It was very cosmopolitan. Uh, it was a large commercial. It was a political powerhouse. So it was an important city in the world at this time. But it was also known for its wickedness. It was said that there was only one other city that was more wicked than Antioch, and that was Corinth. They had all the Greek and Roman and Syrian deities and all the paganism, the idolatry was taking place. They had different shrines set up. The, the, immor- the, the immoral practices were abounding. But this is going to be the city of the very first Gentile church, and it's going to be an incredible church. So here we're told that you have these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, so they're converted Hellenistic Jews. And what I mean by that is you had the Jews that grew up right in Israel, right in Jerusalem. Um, They knew the Hebrew language. They were only familiar with Hebrew customs for the most part. But the Jews who grew up in the other parts of the world, we called them Hellenistic. In other words, they knew the Greek language well. They knew Greek customs well. And so the men that the Lord sends here, they're these Hellenistic Jews, and they're converted, and they start to preach. So these men, they're in Antioch now because of, the, of the, all the persecution and all the suffering that had taken place, and they head there and they start to preach. And no doubt, contextually here, they must have heard what happened with Cornelius. We can preach to the Gentiles. So they immediately begin to do that. They reach out uh, to the Gentile world and their community. They had not been doing that yet. And boy, does it work. You have the start of this Gentile church. And the key was, look at this, and they spake unto the Grecians, that's that's the Gentiles there, preaching the Lord Jesus. In other words, now they are preaching to any man. They would would preach to, to anyone. It wasn't just to the Jewish community. And it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. This is the first thing that made this church great. The hand of the Lord was upon them. That signifies two things in Scripture. It means power and it means blessing. So for the work that was being accomplished because of where they were, where their heart was, God said, listen, they have my hand upon them. They understood it simply wasn't their work and what they were accomplishing. They weren't trying for their methods and and, and their thinking. They knew this was about God. We need His hand upon this. And God honored that. It was the Lord's work. And if a church is going to glorify God, you have to have the hand of the Lord upon it. It has to be honoring unto Him. It's not about us figuring out different methods and and, and what seems pragmatic. It's about people surrendering before the Lord and saying, Lord, we want to honor You, trusting the Lord to do the work. If you will put Him first and not play a game with it, say, Lord, we simply want to honor You. We want to glorify You. We understand our responsibility. Bless it. Put your hand upon it. Well, that is key, is having God's hand in it. Now, look here, number 2, 22 through 24. 
Look what takes place next. So we have multitude, because God's hand is in this. There's a great number that have believed, and they have now turned to the Lord. Then the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all, but with... uh, 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 exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Here you see the sec- second thing. Not only did they have the hand of the Lord, but they were holding to the Lord, cleaving unto God. Barnabas gets there and sees what's taking place here. You see, what happened was, all of a sudden, this church goes and preaches to the Gentiles. Multitudes are believing. Now, Jerusalem just had a meeting with Peter about one family getting saved. Now they hear over in Antioch, which is a major world city, that there's multitudes of Gentiles coming to know Christ. So they said, you know what, we need to get somebody there. Barnabas, go to Antioch, figure out what's going on out there. So they send Barnabas, and Barnabas heads there, and he sees it, and he's perfect. Think about this. Who, Who was doing the preaching here at this time? It was these men from Cyprus. That's where Barnabas is from. I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not a stretch to think it's very possible that it is Barnabas who even led these preachers to the Lord. They send Barnabas. He sees what's going on. Man, he is thrilled. I mean, and he does what he always does. He encourages. He's like, wow, this is incredible. He said, but to keep this thing going, we don't want to get off track. We're seeing people get saved, but what we have to do is they've got to cleave unto the Lord. You've got to hold fast to Him. And that's what He begins to encourage them to do. He gives this great advice for these new believers. He says, you cleave unto the Lord. It's with purpose of heart. That means firm resolution. This is something to cleave unto the Lord that as a local church, one, it starts with you individually. That you make that decision. You say, you know what? I will make my life about God. trying to minimize all the distraction and everything that is pulling us in this world. There's so much there. And by the way, the city at Antioch would have plenty pulling them. This isn't some backcountry place right here. There's there's the wealth in there. There's the immorality of this city. There's all that's taking place. And Barnabas says, listen, now that you're saved, you cleave unto the Lord. You make your life about Him. And boy, they heard that and they believed it. They under, I mean, think about this. I, I, I could understand it. I mean, these Gentile converts, think of what they're coming from. I mean, I mean they were worshiping idols. They were bowing down and praying to a, a little god that their friend down the road made that they had dinner with, that he made in his shop. And they knew. They're, they're not stupid. I mean, you know, this is ridiculous. I mean, I'm doing this because it's culture. Everybody does it. Maybe there's something to this. But then all of a sudden, there are these men preaching. Talking about this one true God. It's not these idols. It has nothing to do with this. And they're hearing this, and God's Spirit's convicting them, and they're realizing, wait, this makes sense. It makes sense that there's one Creator. It doesn't make sense that these stone gods that we made, that, that somehow they're a deity. And they began to realize how absurd it was. They saw the purpose of life. You could just imagine how thankful they were. And Barnabas comes along and says, yes, it's true, but cleave unto God. For cornerstone, 
If you want God's hand to stay upon, you've got to go into that next step, and that's holding to the Lord. Cleave unto Him. Stay close to Him. He begins to minister. He begins to preach. And it says, much people were added to the Lord. And many people. The term here, it really is, when you look up the definition, it means a giant multitude. A massive multitude. I mean, we're talking a lot of people coming to know the Lord in Antioch. It was exploding on them. So you know what Barnabas does? He sees what's taking place. He's encouraging them. He's discipling, trying to get these people to cleave unto the Lord. But he has so many people converting. You know what he realizes? I need help. I need help. And a man happened to come to his mind that the Lord put there. I met Saul. Now, keep up until this point, it's been about 10 years since Saul's conversion right now. All right. He was converted in chapter 9. That's part of the parentheses. We have the story of the conversion of Saul in chapter 9, Cornelius in chapter 10, uh, Peter rehearsing before Jerusalem the first part of chapter 11, and then it picks right back up from that persecution right to the very verse we read in verse 19. And so he says, listen, I, I need help, and he says, Saul. You know, you know that guy that was persecuting the church? Who, the one who gave the permission for the death of Stephen, the one who broke up families and households, he determines, I have to go find him. And so he heads out to go get Paul. <clears throat> really is incredible. Let's look at verse 25 and 26, and I want to see the third thing that took place in this church, and that was how they highlighted the Word of God. In other words, the Word of the Lord... It was a priority. That's what they were communicating. This is where God's going to be honored. This is what's leading to them being such a strong, incredible church that the Lord chooses to use for the start of world missions. They had the hand of the Lord upon them. They were cleaving unto the Lord. And then look at this, 25 and 26. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Incredible. Barnabas again goes and finds Saul. Saul comes back with him to the church at Antioch. And they realize, one, we've we got to get these people assembled. We've got to find a place to meet. And they did. And it was amazing. Now, I don't know how they did it with all the multitudes that got saved. You hear it commonly referred in the book of Acts or even in the Gospels itself, how they meet in an upper room. You can't think that as a tiny place. My church sent me to Israel last January, so I got the concept of this upper room down. Some of these places were absolutely huge what they would do, and you could hire those things out. If you didn't have a church member who had one available that you could use, you could hire one out. Use it for an assembly meeting, and they, would, they were substantial in many, in many locations. So they had to find a place to meet. They did just that. And so what is it that these two men do? Because now, basically, the pastors of the church at Antioch are Barnabas and Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. So what did they do? What kind of programs did they start? It says, And it came to pass that for a whole year they assembled themselves together with the church, and they had a lot of games, contests, musical concerts, community events, tattoo night, Throw a pie in the preacher face night. Super Bowl party night. It isn't what they did. 
Paul didn't go to the local bookstore and find some man-made methodology because what happens is because the hand of the Lord's not on something, yet we want to accomplish something. I mean, for the most part, people are we're goal-oriented. And if we're not seeing that done, we will turn to something to make it happen. And we have churches today without God's hand upon it because the people are not about cleaving unto the Lord, so they have to turn to different methods to make it take place. But look, this is a church that was key in the first century more than any other was the church at Antioch of Syria. God's hand was all over this. They were cleaving to the Lord, but what did they do? It says, and taught much people. You know what they did? They preached and they teach. They, they preached and they taught the word of God. It's exactly what they did. That was the key to this. The communication of the Word of God, highlighting the Word of God. Barnabas and Saul preaching and teaching for an entire year. I could not imagine sitting under those men for a year. I mean, here is Paul. Think about this. It's been 10 years since his conversion. He's had his time in the desert with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, now, just to sit underneath, to hear him preach and teach, you could just see the people feeding on this. It's no wonder how strong this church became because the Word of God was highlighted. That's what they were communicating. One of the keys to the strength of a church is solid, strong, biblical teaching and preaching. Allowing the people to feed on the Word of God. To begin to get it to grow where they come in, they have the hunger and the thirst. You could just imagine coming in, we got Barnabas tonight, we got, we got oh, probably the way Paul would preach. We knew his schedule many times. It's incredible. Um, the way Barnabas would, might start off preaching and then Saul would come in after that. And there's no doubt that people were just feeding on this. They're growing. It's changing their life. You want to know how we know it changed their life? Because all of a sudden, in context of this, they're now called Christians. It was changing them. The effects of the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, where it's not just something shallow and back and forth, where God's Word is genuinely taught, preached, expounded. God honors it, He blesses it, and it changes lives. So much so that the people there started calling them Christians. Of course, they meant it derogatory, we know that, but I guarantee you they wrote Ward as a badge of honor. Like, wow, thank you. Wow. That's pretty good. Because the Bible was making a difference in their life. It's exactly what the Word of God does. And then in conclusion of this, of this strong church, look what does take place after this. So they've had Barnabas and Saul there preaching and teaching. They're cleaving unto the Lord. God's hand is upon this. This is key to a strong church. If you're going to have a great world missions pro- program, this is the framework. It's, now, look what happens next. So here they are. They have this taking place. And in those days came, uh, came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signifying by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt at Judea, which also they did, and sent it by the elders by the hands of Barnabas 
and Saul. Now you know what the seed's taking place now? Now they're working. Now they're contributing. Now they're getting involved. Now it's, no, it's not about themselves. They're seeing needs that are out there, and they're taking care of it, willing to sacrifice, willing to uh, have something, uh, get something accomplished. And what took place here is, keep in mind, the Word of God is not complete yet. Paul has not even written one book yet. The very first book he's going to write is going to be 1 Thessalonians. That's not even going to take place until a second missionary journey. They don't have one book of the New Testament. So at this time, you still had the gift of prophecy in place. You had prophets taking place. That was how the Lord worked until the completion of Scripture. So the prophet comes along, and he lets us know, hey, listen, there's a famine that is going to hit. And we actually have this in other historical documents. What was talked about here, it's amazing. History tells us from different writers that we know in Claudius' world, which is referred to from 41 to 54 A.D., and in the year 45 to 46 A.D., there was a great famine that hit, especially in Israel. No crops came through. They all failed. It was a terrible famine recorded by uh, Tacitus, Josephus, Eusebius, Cassius. All these wrote of that famine that hit Israel, which is talked about right here in these verses. And the members of the church at Antioch, they know this is coming. They say, you know, we're going to help. We're going to get involved. And they did just that. They contributed. They gave. And I love that they did it according to their own ability, which is the pattern that we see when it comes to New Testament giving. The tithe is the Lord's. That's, that's not giving. That is the Lord's. So when it comes to giving, it's every man doing according to their own ability. The potential that each person has. The people were showing genuine love because love produces action. It was according to their ability. Those who had a lot gave a lot. Those who had little gave what they could. God honored that. <clears throat> so within this church, we have a pattern given for what a strong church looks like, that the Lord is the one who looks on and says, I'm going to use that church. It is one that the hand of the Lord is upon, that they cleave unto God in what is communicated, what the method they use, what they highlight, is the Word of God. And the Lord will honor that. 